Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1032. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hoga. We're leaving Why that first minute two? in, right? Like, we're going to leave two of you to do the countdown in. I don't understand that. No, we didn't need we to do any of mind, that. We worked with Zane for a very long time. Man, we had to cue him. So oh, wait, times. we gave different answers. Yeah. Oh, that's so bad. Yeah. What happened? Do you want to switch? Yeah. Who? We worked with Zane, Zane for a very, issue. really long time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very long time. Fair. Uh, it's, it's the two people keep choosing. Yeah, he's, he's well, dropped off the map. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've got three kids and I'm pretty certain that I was leaving them alone while I went out to the bar by the time they were three weeks old. And Zane, no, Zane's still hanging in there. This whole parenting shit you know? is really serious for him. Really yeah. serious. Yeah. That was that was a joke, by the way, before I get a bunch of tweets about that. Not, was not it what Lori said. I, I, did, I didn't leave them was alone. Was this? Yeah. Lori was home. Television is a fine parent. Yeah. Lori's house you, is filled with iPads. There's an iPad for every kid plus a the, few others. See, right there. Yeah, there's so right many. There. Yeah. Got yeah. one right here. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. Did, where did you Same. go outside this time, uh, Annalise? What did you this do? This time. This yeah. time. I did go outside. It was um, it was pretty cold. Normally, that doesn't stop me, but I have a baby now, and uh, he is a bit more sensitive to the cold than I am. Yeah, but are you talking about Jeremy Farkas when you say you have a baby now? Like, <laughs> I have a baby now. Was that Jeremy Farkas? I did go outside on Friday with Jeremy Farkas. Carter, thank, Carter, thank you for explaining that so that uh, people people understand. I just that. was confused. Yeah. it was cold. My baby on Friday. was in daycare on Friday, and oh. I went outside with Jeremy Farkas and my dog. You could see why I was confused. So you're, yeah. So you're hiking with former Calgary mayoral candidates and. Stephen is um, what? What were yeah. you doing, Stephen? Yeah. I you went for a fat time? bike today. It's fun. You've used that one already. No, but that's like, all I have. I have skiing, more creative. or I have fat biking. And uh, today I went. Well, there's no snow. I want to go skiing, but there's no snow. I mean, don't forget slowly decaying, which is the thing I think of you doing the most. Oh, it's not correctly. that slow anymore. In fact, I'm stretching right now. <laughs> Fast decay. Yeah, it's no, it's, it's moving along quickly. Corey, what do you do this weekend? I don't know. I I have trouble keeping track. There's a lot of kid activities. I got many children, yeah. many children who need to be places at different times. I'm guessing uh, uh, dance was one of the things you needed to go to, and uh, uh, well, musical theater. Oh, nice. was one of them. Yeah, that's it wasn't, good. wasn't dance per se, but there was dancing involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's swimming lessons. There's birthday parties. I got to tell you guys, yeah, cavalcade. Again. This is the best opening ever because Heather is also given our new dog. Uh, rider, a squeak toy. And I don't know if you can hear it, but he is squeaking the hell out of it. So it's going to be the best episode well, thanks, ever. Heather. Yeah. yeah. Great. Way to dox your dog too. Now everybody knows your dog's name. That's okay. On the podcast. What are they going to do? Yeah. Take him? <laughs> okay. Cost I mean, me a maybe. fortune. He's gone through three, three pairs of shoes so far. Uh, two pairs of Heather's glasses. And uh, Okay. Well, you so know, do you want someone to take him? Is that I'm what just you're saying, saying? I'm not saying I want anything. Okay. I'm just saying if it happened, it's not if, the end of the if world. If someone needs a dog, talk to yeah. Carter. Yeah. Uh, okay. For sale. Dog shoes. Never worn. It's a sad short story I wrote for you right there. That's very good. Thank you. It's a plagiarized okay. short story, which is even worse. Hey, it's fine. Annalise, let's uh, get the show on the road. Are we going to do a thing? We're jumping in. This, this <laughs> beginning small talk, guys. I got to be honest. Painful. We do better with Zane. I don't know why. Yeah. No, it's you painful. You know why? <laughs> you know what, Carter? I read, gotta... a, uh, 
I read an iTunes review that said, uh, hey, normally I just skip the first 10 minutes because it's terrible. So uh, I'm trying to keep it short, you know, short and sweet. Hmm. That's ironic because uh, we're usually well into the first segment in 10 minutes. Yeah. But yeah. I still I still can't really dispute that. No, yeah. I mean, 10 minutes counting Zane's Carter opening usually goes question. First. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're jumping in. Uh, The first segment today, it is called The Smell of Desperation or A Good Idea That's Never Been Done Before? Question mark. So uh, 39 Ontario Liberals, including former cabinet ministers and recent candidates, they signed an open letter to Ontario Green leader Mike Schreiner. It was released today, Sunday. The letter pleads with Mike to be their leader. It reads, we are a group of Ontario liberals who are deeply concerned about the state of politics in Ontario. Goes on to say, our politics are stuck in an endless loop of gimmicks and cynical games. And it it goes on, it talks about why they're taking this unprecedented step, compliments Mike's career, his principles. It talks about climate change, healthcare, youth. And there's also a website draftmike.ca where people are urged to sign on to the campaign to draft Mike. They can also read the letter there. Um, so just super quickly for those not um, super familiar with Ontario politics, Mike Schreiner, he's been Green Party leader since 2009. He won a seat in the 2018 election and became the first Green MPP in Ontario history. He was reelected in 2022 and was again the only Green candidate elected. So the letter comes as the Liberals are looking for a leader, and at least four current Liberal MPPs and MPs are actively exploring leadership bids. They're just waiting for timelines and rules from the party, and there's an AGM happening in the next month or so. So um, that's my intro. My question for you guys and Carter, let's start with you. You've got some okay. thoughts. Uh, what do you think of this draftmike.ca campaign and the open letter? I guess, what type of message does it tell people when you come out and essentially say, there's no candidate good enough to lead our party except this guy who's not even part of our party? You've got thoughts, Carter. Let's hear them. It's not a great message, uh, especially when you're going from someone who, uh, like a party that won uh, eight seats in in the legislature uh, versus a party that won one seat in the legislature. Now, I'm not an expert in math, Annalise, but I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, eight is higher than one. Uh, is it not? You got it, Carter. It's higher. And I would also, I would also go so far as to say that 30, 39 liberals writing a letter would be in excess of the the key people in the Green Party. Um, they could just take over the Green Party if they wanted th- with 39 people, 39 key organizers. If they really wanted this guy, they could all just move over and uh, and support him. I mean, the strategy of something like this, the draft campaign, and I'll just kind of quickly digress over this direction for, for a second. Um, it's a great strategy. The draft is a great way to start a campaign without starting a campaign. We did a draft Nahid campaign uh, prior to him running in 2008. And 10, uh, it gave us the opportunity to find a lot of volunteers. It gave us the opportunity to to uh, sign up a lot of uh, potential voters. It didn't cost us very much. We grew our Facebook page. It was fantastic back when Facebook used to matter. Um, so that was a good piece. And if this was being done by Mike Schreiner by himself to to actually get himself as the le- leader of the Liberal Party, then I don't dislike this strategy. It shows that he's got 39 key Liberals that will be on his campaign right from the beginning. That's a great strategy. However, 
if this is actually 39 liberals reaching out to bring in Mike and he doesn't want the job, as he's saying in the media, this is beyond pathetic. This could be the worst <laughs> execution I've ever seen. Um, so, you know, and I, I wrote down here, and maybe this is an episode title. I'm just throwing it out there. 39 liberals or 39 morons. I don't know. I can't tell the difference. It's it's really tight. Okay, Carter, just back up a second. You think there's there possibly he is the whole masterman behind this and his Oh and that's a possibility? Oh, with your stunning naivete. Welcome. Welcome to the to the podcast. Yes, it is possible that this is being run by Mike himself. This is uh, beyond possible is most actually likely. Um, the most draft campaigns are being run with the full endorsement of the person who is being drafted. It is a pre-campaign. It looks like it's grassroots. It creates this huge amount of energy. I would not be surprised at all if Mike and his team, uh, these 39 people, are all in cahoots about getting him to actually move from a party that can only win one seat to a party that can win 800% as many seats. Yeah. But what about his comments in media? How does he go? How does he explain that? I have no interest in this. No, something different and it's over. Can you, can you take over with the naivete, Corey? I'm struggling with the naivete. I'm struggling. I can't tell me how this actually. You think you also think this draft is a great strategy, Corey. Is that what, is that what Uh, on your face, sir? Well, look, I, I think this is a pretty conventional strategy in many ways to, to have to be asked to do the job, you know, ask me three times is the old joke, right? You know, Oh no. Oh no. Okay. Sure. I'll absolutely do it. You've twisted my arm. And if, if that is what it is, then, okay, it's a fine strategy. I mean, we're all talking. The 39 liberals, by the way, I, I certainly don't know all of them or even most of them, but even a lot of the ones that are like liberal organizer and you're like, what is that? They are known liberal organizers. They are, they are, you know, people within the party with some sort of swing. So it's a, it's a baffling one. If, if this is just kind of like taking a flyer, especially because there are four candidates in the race and holy cow, did they leave their party looking bad if, uh, if uh, Shriner doesn't come in. Shriner didn't say he, I mean, he said his focus is to continue the fight. Right. And he has also made some comments. I'm just trying to find the words here uh, along the lines of, I haven't seen anything that would change my mind right now. Yeah. Right. right I like, now. you know, I think, so there, there is like kind of that the smallest of the doors open where perhaps like a big swing would allow, would allow him to be like, well, I guess now I see like there's an enthusiasm for green politics that was never there before. But you know, you almost have to play this out with like the two scenarios, right? The one is, is this uh, Shriner's brilliant play to take over the leadership of the third party, the one that got the second most votes in in Ontario, and and really try to go for something, or is this like a desperate appeal from an absolutely moribund Liberal Party that doesn't know what to do? And yeah, I don't know which one I'm more excited to talk about because both are pretty interesting, but. Uh, you know, they, they tell such different stories. And I guess we won't know for sure for a bit. Although if I was going to put money on the table right now, my sense is Schreiner does not want to be leader of the Liberal Party and that this is essentially a cold call. Although I've never seen no. anything like that. Yeah, so let's, let's play out those two. Let's play out those two scenarios. And Carter, you can jump in here okay. in terms of because there there's two scenarios. You're right. But let's play out. Let's play out the one where he has absolutely no interest. Um, oh. in doing this at all. What is <laughs> Carter? Oh my God. This, this Carter looks like he's going to faint. 
Yeah. Have you ever seen those um, marriage proposals that go horribly wrong? <laughs> you're, right? yeah. you're at the baseball game and the guy's arranged at the seventh inning stretch to take his girlfriend out onto the, out onto the pitch and he asks her to marry her and he, and she runs away. That's the equivalent of this. If they have not figured this out, if you're the guy, if you're the 39 people and you're asking this guy to marry you and you don't know he's going to say yes and he runs across the entire stadium embarrassing you and embarrassing herself just so she doesn't have to say the words, yes, I'll marry you, then this is the most embarrassing thing that you can see in a political party. Please come and run. I mean, this is this is often done. You will often see people reaching out and talking to prospective candidates. Uh, Corey and I have talked about his role as the official liberal, um, you know, leader or not leader. What was your title again? Executive director. Assistant. The assistant. um, He was the assistant, executive assistant in the party. And I was an organizer. (laughs) So I would go and I would talk to people. He wasn't allowed to, but I'd go and talk to people and try and recruit them to run for leaderships because um, I would have uh, a pathway that they could fit into. Um, this This is just, if this is a flyer and you're doing the flyer in public, it is seriously one one of the most embarrassing strategies I've ever seen. But that's what leads me to believe these are legitimate people. These are real people. There is, in my head, there was like, as I was reading the list of people, I was like, there is no fucking way. There's no fucking way that these are the guys out on the baseball stadium on one knee trying to propose to the woman that doesn't even like them. It's just not going to be the case. Well, and, the, and the website too, right? Like when I first saw the letter on Twitter, I'm like, oh, this is weird. And then the draftmike.ca website, you you would think perhaps there are conversations, but a few things there. Carter, you, you said this has been done before, common strategy. Has it been done in terms of publicly like this with a leader from a, another party? Like, I think we need to be clear. These are two different parties. Well, I think we have to exclude Raj Sherman from all of these discussions because Raj Sherman is literally, I think, run for every leadership in every party. But when you, if you eliminate Raj Sherman, then it is fairly uncommon for one person to leave the leadership of a, of a small party and become the leader of a big party. But on the other hand, part of this is we don't usually see small parties like this. Um, we don't usually see small parties like this that have much in the way of, of leadership hope. I mean, most of the time, what we see is a Green Party that's led by Elizabeth May, and people really don't even want her leading the Greens, let alone re- leading uh, any other parties. So I think that this is—it's uh, unusual to be sure, but I don't—I'm not sure that this is outside of all reasonable expectations. And maybe Corey, you've got more thoughts. Yeah, than that. Corey, jump in there. So I don't know of any perfect comp, right? I'll tell you that in the corporate world, this happens all the time, right? You've got a small company and you've got a massive company, but they say that small company has brilliant leadership and I I want that brilliant leadership. So it all becomes almost a bit of a reverse takeover, right? In politics, uh, you know, the example that immediately comes to mind for me is in 1942, when John Bracken became leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and, and changed its name to the Progressive Conservatives. People misunderstand that all of the time. They think it was it's like some sort of calibration or that they're progressive on social issues and conservative on fiscal. No, it was effectively a merger because John Bracken was the premier of Manitoba under the Progressive banner, which was a smaller banner. But, you know, this was just after the 30s. Obviously, there was a big rise of labor movements. Uh, it was a different time. And so Bracken said he would run for leader and he was drafted in a, in a kind of a similar fashion. Mm-hmm. There was like a draft Bracken campaign. If they added the word progressive to the, the conservative party 
you know, title. And then it was progressive hyphen conservative for many years and the hyphen eventually dropped, I believe. So, I, I mean, that's the example that immediately comes to mind. There are other times where you have seen, even in Alberta, um, Danielle Smith was leader of one party, decided she would go and join another party. Not the same, but again, it's not impossible for a leader to move to a different party, I guess, is what I want to underline. But, you know, it's um, it's it's improbable. It's very weird. Uh, and it's very odd that they would see a guy who won one seat as their savior, right? This is um, This is somebody that in the debate they uh, during the the Ontario provincial election that happened last year a lot of people said nice things about his performance i was not actually one of them we had a we had a debate yeah. uh, you know one and and we basically said he seems deeply mediocre but you know the other ones are seeming really aggressive and unlikable but like he he didn't you know wow either of us i believe Steve. yeah no he wasn't but, he wasn't uh, that good but he also didn't have that big of a platform like he was coming from the greens right yeah. Um, well, and so we made the comment at the time that a lot of the time these, these third or fourth party candidates are really well liked because they are third or fourth party candidates. It costs you nothing to like them. You can be a liberal partisan and like the green leader. You can be a new Democrat partisan like the green leader. You can be a PC and like the green leader because there's no threat there. Uh, and so I think if you're weighing it simply on the fact that people didn't hate him at that moment, you're, you're using a bad fact base. Yeah. What, what about the open letter itself? Um, and I think you both have read it, Carter, if you learned how to find yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, oh, so cold. What is What happened between us, Annalise? Was it me calling you naive? Was that what the issue was? <laughs> that, that was it, Carter. Uh, Probably didn't help. Yeah. So Carter has read the letter. You found it. You've read it. The The contents itself, right? Because they're, they're, their strategy, they're doing it in this open letter format. Was there anything that stood out? Anything you think that's great? Anything that you think that's terrible in, in that letter? Uh, I'll let either of you weigh in. Um, I think that this politics, you know, we're dissatisfied with politics as usual is something that I, always makes me bristle. Um, this idea that, you know, politics is, we've got to change the way that politics is done. Uh, you know, the Alberta party took this line. There, there's, um, you've seen it over and over and over again. People dismiss the politics of, you know, the politics of as usual, and they don't like the the negativity and they don't like the, you know, what Corey said earlier, about it's really easy to like a third party leader because they don't attack anybody. They don't get it or like a small party leader. They don't attack anybody. They don't get attacked. They get elected because of their name and their leadership of, of a small, you know, one out of 130, what is it? 134 seats or whatever the numbers are that, you know, good for them. It's easy to like them. It's easy, but it's, it's harder when you're actually someone that could form the government. Um, it's hard to like somebody who could form the government. So I, I think that this politics as usual complaint, politics as usual is how you get elected. You get elected by slowly moving the game and becoming better at the game. You get elected by being able to find lots of people who like you, which is politics. And when we, you know, uh, you know, I got an argument today with the pr pr proportional representation people again. Um, the proportional representation people are never going to succeed because they don't understand what they're actually arguing for um, or what they're trying to achieve. And I think that this is the same thing that we see all the time with small parties. Small parties think, oh, we can turn everybody around. They're all going to love us all of a sudden because we don't do politics the same as everybody else. Yeah, that means you're a loser. 
The rest of us do politics the way we do because we studied the art, we look at it, and we understand how to win. And that is that is politics as usual. Politics as usual is about learning how to win, basing it on 3,000 years of experience in democracies, um, some of which have gone south and some of which haven't. Very, very high-minded, I guess, pivot at the what end. What do you mean high-minded? History of democracy. Listen, uh, when I look at this letter... There's one line in particular that stands out for me, and maybe not in the way that the drafters would want it to. It's that we all agree on one thing. Our party needs to rediscover a politics of purpose and principle. So the implicit point there is that they don't believe that the Liberal Party of Ontario has purpose or principle. Why are these people in the party then? Like, yeah. like I, and, you know, and, and that's not actually that rhetorical. I mean... They're in the party because they're in the party. They're partisan. But, you know, they are, they're basically admitting there is not a reason currently for the Ontario Liberal Party to exist. And that is flooring. Like, that is shocking that they can't even say, like, we know what our purpose is as a political party. What are, what is a political party without a purpose? It's just a vehicle for power that has absolutely no, you know, no spine, no core to it. And that's, that's bonkers. It does lead into a bigger conversation about what is the purpose of a centrist liberal party in 2023? They don't seem to know. And that should scare the hell out of people. That the Ontario Liberal Party doesn't seem to, or at least these organizers, don't seem to know why they exist as a political party. Really wild. Corey, what about those 39 names um, that are on it? And I guess like playing it out with the two different scenarios. So either these 39 people are the core members of the campaign team or you know, what in the second scenario and keeping in mind that there are other people that are, you know, respected amongst the Liberal Party that have said they want to run, what happens to these 39 people under scenario number two? Under scenario two, this is the one where um, where it is all just like a draft campaign that's that's accepted by him or is scenario? Yeah. What's our, what's our number in here? Yeah, who can tell? I mean, she's as good at this <laughs> as Zane was. Um, <laughs> no, what's, what, what does, um, I forget which one was one and two now. I've just been so engaged, but what does it mean for those 39 people under the scenario that Mike has nothing to do with this? And Right. So uh, it means different things to different people. All of them will, I think, should give some sort of questioning to the, whether they have any kind of sense of judgment. I mean, to put out a letter that says, we're a good political party, all we need is a purpose, let me cold call somebody we believe has a purpose. I mean, that just seems to undercut their party immensely. But uh, it really depends on who you are on this list. Like, we can start with Lucille Collard, who is a liberal MPP, like in the legislature. I, I, that's a problem, right? I mean, you basically endorsed the leader of another political caucus yeah. for the leadership of your party. I, I don't quite know what to make of that. I'm sure her colleagues will be very interested in that. And depending on how everything shakes out in the next bit, she may be in a position where she almost like, okay, like there's four people who everybody knows is in the race. Let's say one of those four wins. She doesn't even have the cover of like, if a fifth person comes in and says, Oh, this person actually ended up being better you know, than Shriner, like better than I could have hoped. Um, I, I wash away all of my previous sins. It's like, you knew this person was in the race. You endorsed the leader of the Greens because they had purpose and principle. You know, there's a, there's a kind of read between the lines on that particular one there. And, you know, that person, you know, this liberal one, what are you still doing here becomes the obvious question. Yeah. So her life gets very complicated. If you're 
longtime liberal or former liberal MPP or former cabinet member or even former leader, because they have one of those on the list, too, from the early 90s. I, I mean, it's, you know, in political parties, these things ebb and flow. You engage more, you engage less. Maybe you're done with them forever. But it doesn't, I don't think it changes a lot in your life. You know, Zach Armstrong riding president probably also you know, we'll, we'll be reassessing some things, but like, I, you know, it really just depends on what your role is on this list. Frankly. Does, does that list Carter give you any indication on which of the two scenarios this is? Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, members of the legislative assembly don't go out on a limb like this without knowing how it's actually going to end. Um, I mean, we can see that right here in Calgary, uh, right here in Alberta, like we have a lunatic in the premier's chair and a lot of sane, uh, MLAs aren't moving uh, because it's insane to take that type of action without knowing how it ends. Um, so I think that uh, these M- M- MPPs know how it's going to end because they're, they've been in rooms with this guy and they can see that uh, he's going to run. He just needs them to build up the, the momentum. Otherwise the cost is too high. Corey's point is right on Corey's point. Like if this MP, you know, if the current MPPs, um, don't succeed in moving him over. And there's not a fifth candidate. They're done in this party. They're done. So they may as well just go sit as an independent right now, or better yet, move to the fucking Green Party. He's already the leader of the Green Party. (laughs) You know, it seems obvious. Yeah. Hey, this person has principles and priorities and purpose. I don't know. I mean, like, you could bring the party to them. Um, One of the things that I want to throw on the table is we're talking about it as one or two, but reality could be very different there's there's shades of gray here like there is a version of this and i actually think it might be one of the more plausible ones where some number of these people have talked to shriner and shriner has been you know not not that enthused about it or maybe played a little bit coy or if you get a little bit further on the spectrum saying you tell me that the liberal party can change you tell me the liberal party can be the vehicle that i want show me Right. No. And then they say, OK, well, now we're being asked to show. Why do why do that in public, though? Like, why not do that? Behind well, you closed wouldn't. Doors? I mean, like this is like this is the thing about it. The, the, you, yeah, that falls you, apart as you would because there is no there's no means to do this publicly. Like this can't be. I mean, sure it can. Uh, there's all kinds of inept politicians and inept uh, political organizers. So I shouldn't say this can't be what it looks like on the surface. But if there's any intelligence behind it, there, this is not what it looks like on the surface. It is a uh, leadership campaign that is up and running. And I would be willing to bet a nickel or two um, that by the end of this week, he's running in this campaign. Uh, or at least is is looking a lot more uh, likely to be running. Uh, he may hold out just to wait for the rules uh, like the others are. Um, but this isn't going to be a story that goes away in one news cycle because he said, it, it, you know, he said he doesn't want to be the leader of the liberals. So if if that is what it is, and this was all just a plot that I fell for and we've now talked about it for 28 minutes. Yeah. Good strategy. We, we, yeah. We, if, if that's what it is, it's a great strategy. <laughs> if it's the opposite, yeah. it is the worst strategy in humankind. Perfect. We're <laughs> well, gonna leave it you know, there. When, when you say that, it does make me think. Boy, it, it better be it better be just kind of the fake draft that we always see, because otherwise, eh, a lot of people involved in the worst strategy ever. Yeah, okay. it will be bad. We're, we're gonna leave it there. I'm sure that's one we will uh, revisit in the future. Next segment: Happy anniversary, truckers. Um, so today is Sunday. It's the one-year anniversary of the Freedom Convoy. Um, to mark it, 
dozens of people gathered on Parliament Hill during a snowstorm. And they told reporters they were there to share the same message as last year. No more vaccine mandates. They shouted freedom. They waved Canadian flags. Um, I even saw a video on Twitter where they were wrapping their tents in saran wrap because it was snowing. Saran wrap. Um, and then closer to home, protesters returned to Coots on the one-year anniversary of the Coots border blockade. So different things to pick apart here. But my first big question for you two, and Corey, we can start with you on this one. It's been a year since um, those initial protests. And since then, we've seen conservative leaders win leadership contests by appealing to these convoy supporters. Um, I'm thinking of Daniel Smith and Pierre Polyev here. Over the coming year or years, as these leaders face general elections, um, I guess, what what do you think their relationship with the convoy looks like? And what um, what should that relationship look like if they want to win? Yeah. Hmm. Well, so on one hand, with Danielle Smith, I think that the the spirit of the convoy really obviously propelled her to the leadership, and she's beholden to that group in a way. I actually don't be, believe Pierre Polyev is. I think Pierre Polyev won so commandingly and with so many people from so many walks in his party that that, that was maybe grabbing a little bit of extra enthusiasm, trying to put out some fires around the People's Party of Canada. But I don't think his leadership hinges on the support of those individuals. And if they walked away from him, he would still have his leadership. So, uh, but both of them are going to listen more or less, depending on the strength of that particular wing. And so one of the interesting things always when people try to mark an anniversary like this is you can really expose how weak you've become as well, right? Or how irrelevant you've become. And having a couple dozen people show up on Parliament Hill, I don't know how familiar you are with the city of Ottawa, Annalise. And Stephen, I know you're not because nobody lets you. No one lets you in Ottawa. Ottawa. I'm not allowed. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm not super a familiar. Couple, yeah. A protest of a couple dozen people is called Tuesday. Like every day there are protests of, of, you know, a small group of people trying to do different things. So, so that doesn't really show a lot of strength. Now, on the other hand, there, there are, what, what are they protesting at this point? What are they fighting Vaccine for? Vaccine mandates, what, Corey. They're still I mean, do you them. see any? You, t- you Jesus, tell I mean. me <laughs> that they're shouting freedom, freedom, they're waving their flags and they're mad about yeah. vaccine mandates still a year later. Well, there's always somebody who doesn't know when the party's over and the keg is dry. And, and these people might be that, right? Because like, it's just not relevant anymore to most Canadians. And I think that there's a funny thing. You know, my wife and I were talking about this. We were watching the, um, you know, the Knives Out movie, Glass Onion. Oh, so right? good. Yeah, good movie. Uh, but uh, there's like a whole thing about it. Like it takes place during the pandemic. So at certain points, they're wearing masks and whatnot. And we were kind of commenting kind of made us both feel sort of uncomfortable even watching it. Not because we're opposed to masks. We we think it was absolutely the right thing to do. And you should continue to wear masks in a lot of situations where they're, they're necessary or helpful. But because we just don't want to remember like a time that was really shitty, right? And I think that's true of a lot of Canadians. And so, you know, they're, they're sitting there, they're banging that drum. I think even people who are sympathetic to the convoy don't want to talk about it anymore. They don't want to talk about mandates. They want to flip the page. They don't want to talk about what I think them perhaps even more than many of us think of as a deeply miserable time. Carter, you do want to talk about this and you, uh, you've, you've got some thoughts. Uh, so he loves talking about miserable yeah, time. He, he yeah, wants I mean, to talk about this. You, you tell us. Well, I think that, you know, 
Corey again is his uh right, which is again like it's three times I think in the pod, Corey, and it's just pissing me yeah, right off. Okay. Do it um, right today. They they have no momentum, right? They're dead. Uh I do think that they have a stench about them. Uh and so the the smell of the convoy protests, despite the fact that they're wrapping themselves in saran wrap, that smell is permeating across Canada, whether it was the Coots protesters <laughs> today or it was the Ontario one. It smells like rancid meat. And that smell is sticking to certain people. And I think that the smell will stick to Polyev more than Corey is suggesting, because Although he chose to, to, to and found support amongst many different groups, he also chose to find the, the, the people who uh, were, you know, the, the, the lockdown, the, the trucker protest gang. And really, I think it's a misnomer to call it the trucker protest. I mean, I think it was the, I think, or the convoy protest. I think ultimately it, it, ha- it was too, too much focused on uh, racism, too much focused on, um, you know, what I'm losing because there's, all these other groups and too much based on the, the, the Trump type of uh, messaging of where's mine. Why don't I get mine too? So I find the group um, because it's died so quickly, that stench is going to follow it. And I think that that stench is going to land on Pierre Polyev and maybe Danielle Smith, Danielle Smith, a little bit less because we have a bit bigger group of people that are willing to uh, abide by the stench of rancid meat. Um, but that, that's about it. You know, I, I think this analogy went too weirdest far for metaphor. you, Corey. What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Annalise <laughs> liked it. Right. Annalise. It fell apart. Yeah. It, it fell you, apart. Like rancid meat. You really, out of the sun. Yeah. You, you went Very with good. that metaphor. Yeah. Well, I, you got to commit. This is one of the things yeah. we've learned, Annalise. I mean, you're still <laughs> you, relatively you new committed. at this. You, you got to yeah. commit to the bit, right? Like that is yeah. our first rule. So I can. Yeah. And you, you committed. Um, so I, what was the point that you were getting at there, Carter? You think the stench is still I think the stench sticks to Polyev, especially, I think the stench is going to stick around. I think that's so weird. I, I have no idea how you can say the things you said and come to the conclusion you drew there. So you think Daniel Smith has more support from the convoy, you know, it's more engaged with it. And yet somehow it's going to affect her less because and it's we're going Alberta. to affect Pierre Polyev more. Because we're stupid. I think that because they're Ontario and, and, you know, Quebec and uh, the Maritimes and Newfoundland, I think that that is going to play way worse in those areas than it plays in Alberta. How can you say that Alberta is not its own little island of lunacy? Um, I think that we are our own little island of lunacy. And, and to think otherwise is just kind of ignoring the fact that we've got Danielle Smith as our premier right now. Corey, you, well, you look, think Carter's wrong based on your face, I can tell. Yeah, well, Very yeah, wrong. I mean, if, if we're sort of starting where we started, which is where is convoy politics going to have a bigger effect? I think it's for sure in Alberta, right? And you seem to be looking at it entirely, Stephen, through the lens of like, well, the negative is not going to hurt her as much because it's Alberta. Yeah. And I think that's a that's like that's that's ridiculous that you're thinking of it only in the downside sense because this group did show it had significant power and momentum last year it gave her the fucking premiership for crying out loud the power of that group matters in this province way more than it matters way more than it matters in federal politics it has already fundamentally changed politics in the province of alberta and it has the power to change politics again depending on whether it shows up or not and how it shows up because if that group shows up and they've got all of this cock and swagger 
And they changed the conservative party platform to something that's so deeply unpalatable to Albertans. And but that's what we're talking about for 28 days during an election. But they lose that, but if they are weakened. That, that's my point. Yeah. The stench sticks to Paul and it doesn't stick to Danielle. Maybe I should come up with a different analogy. <laughs> I, mean, I think you need a different, uh, uh, different metaphor. The stench what is, about, yeah, yeah. The stench is driving all our activity. What, what about the timing too, though, of the two? Like, okay, we're now talking about Alberta versus federal, and the the timing of the elections is also different, right? We've got one yeah. election in the next couple months, another probably. After that, people's memories are short. Yes, we're talking about this right now because it's the one-year anniversary and there's a lot of think pieces and they're back there. But how, do, how does that timing play into the, um, the who the stench is sticking to, Carter? Run with your the metaphor. More dis- the more distance, I mean, but the more distance between the, the, the rotting body and, <laughs> and, uh, and the election, um, the better. So, Polyev... So... Come to the conclusion. No, what are you saying? What I'm saying this that, that is that that, that that the stench sticks to it's more of a negative in the rest of the country than it is in Alberta. It is less of a negative in Alberta. Which part are you missing on it's this? It's like it's like you walk right up to the most obvious conclusion and you you come to the opposite. <laughs> oh my god. This, How have this we done this? Matter as much in federal since politics. You got here, oh the fighting god. has been intense. Yeah. <laughs> people like what? it they say it's real no, they it don't. feels like it's not scripted is is this podcast it's scripted, scripted. You could you imagine that? thinking this shit was scripted <laughs> like what would you be on oh my god um okay so what what are our conclusions carter i'm still confused about what you're saying so can you put it in okay, simple I, terms yeah, maybe drop the metaphor I maybe the analogy is too much to you talking slower Okay. In just, Alberta, just talk. there are more people right. who agree with the convoy and with the Coots protest, and they support Danielle. Because of that, her strength won't be weakened as much as Pierre Polyev's strength will be weakened across the rest of Canada because of the pathetic nature of the convoy protests. Everybody's walked away from this thing. Everybody thinks it's pathetic, and Pierre Polyev still has to wear it. So my point is now, Annalise, this is, did I make it as so, clear? As, just, this is insane. You just started. My point is, and then you didn't finish. Yeah, because I'm. I, my point is okay. this: let me let me. Hair sucks because of this. Danielle, who should suck, sucks less. Okay, there in Alberta, there are more people who support the convoy. Yes. Convoy is a bigger issue in Alberta. Yes. So logically, naturally, you have come to the conclusion that means it is less of a big deal in Alberta how popular the convoy is. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. You know what? You just the sit listeners, and marinate. The, the listeners marinate in your understand. Thoughts. Marinate in your thoughts. The listeners understand, and they're going to they're going to tear you apart on Twitter, Hogan. Okay. And Annalise, if it happens yeah. to you too, it's happened to all of us. Okay, you get okay. used to it. Okay, you're going to just be ripped apart by oh, our gosh. faithful listeners. Don't even look Very at the Discord gosh. next week; it's going to be tragic. They're going to be all over you guys. Corey, what do, do you disagree? Do you understand what Carter's saying? And do you disagree? 
I mean, no one in the world could understand what oh Carter is saying, but I disagree with his, if his fundamental thesis is Pierre Polyev is in more trouble than Daniel Smith because of shifts in convoy politics, I disagree. I mean, Pierre Polyev needed them less to win. Pierre Polyev has more time between the convoy and his election. I just, I see no logical way you can come to the conclusion that convoy politics is more relevant to Daniel or Pierre Polyev's future than Daniel Smith's future. This is why I win stories in universities making all the bank. This is why, right there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you sure showed a good me. Good ending there, uh, Carter. Um, I may have argued against my own point there at the end, but a little bit, just a smidge. <laughs> okay. Do either of you have anything else to say on this topic? Because I'm still, I'm still confused, Carter. Well, Annalise, you're well, naive. I, look, I think you're, you're Canadians young. are confused. Canadians, are, Canadians are confused. Deep thoughts from Canadians Corey. don't quite know what to think about this. And there's the moment, and in the moment, we all hated it. Polling was pretty clear, right? The convoy bad, right? Uh, which is part of why it was so baffling that the conservatives were so all in on it uh, at the at the moment. But with time, as we all want to forget it, people, you know. The, the jury seems to be a little bit out on how people are going to think about all of this in the future here. And ultimately, I don't think Ottawans who had to experience it are going to think very positively of it. But I think most of us won't think anything about it at all. And um, if if there's more Canadians out there who are saying, yeah, in general, that time kind of sucked. And those people were mad that it sucked as it just blurs and fades into history. I just I don't. You know, we'll see what people ultimately think about the convoy and the protests in Ottawa. But, you know, I, my answer right now is I suspect they're not going to think much about it. And those who do are just going to mash it all together with a miserable time and sort of say, I guess it makes sense that they were there because we were all fucking miserable. And do do we think the one year anniversary is a one day story or these dozens of people are going to call their friends this week and it's going to slowly grow and we're going to be back to where we were a year ago? doesn't look like it's got the same energy um the snowstorm helps quote unquote helps as they've well got saran wrap makes it less appealing they've got saran wrap man yeah that's so good you know just as we're all taught in wilderness class right when you hit a snowstorm you you get out your glide or your glade a uh, cling wrap right yeah. that's the good stuff and then uh and then you're yeah, fine you know about the outdoors no I, totally yeah. yeah i mean look i can't help but you know, be surrounded by it. And sometimes it comes indoors because I have a very old house. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I just, I don't think that it's going to become a thing again. I, everybody is so ready for it. The Ottawa police know that they would be disbanded if something like that occurred again. Just seems unlikely. Okay. Carter, no last words from you. No, I think I've made my point perfectly. Clear. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Very clearly. So, yeah. so I couldn't be more clear. Yeah. I could not okay. be more clear. Love it. Um, okay, we're gonna move into the lightning round. You're probably thinking, hey, that's a little early, but it's it's gonna be a long lightning round. Here's the thing, Carter. I know you don't How care can about it be the a audience. long lightning round. Listen, How? I know oh. I know you don't care about listeners at all. I don't. Um, but I do <laughs> a little bit. And they gave me some ideas on Twitter of of um things we should talk about. Lots of them were um, maybe not 
enough for a full segment. So we're going to do like a kind of... Most of them, I'm sure, aren't enough for even a question. I've read those things on Twitter. Some some of them are. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Some of them are. And um, first, we're going to start with one that is mine, not um, from Twitter. And then then we'll move up. Yeah, we're going to start strong. Um, So first of all, so lightning round again, Carter, just a reminder, the way I run it, it's like fast answers. It's not like... Hours and you, hours. You, you can try and run it you, however yeah. you want. Yeah. You think it's lightning. I just realized now. You think it's like lightning like the bolts. Nope. It's lightning. Like we unburden yeah. ourselves. Yeah, but That's it's, like, it it's right. like quick. It's speedy. This is the lightning. I, I like no. red. No. no, no. It's the. It's like we get rid of the weight that is in our brains. Yeah. It's the lightning round. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. All this time you thought it was lightning round. Oh, okay. I told you I didn't listen yeah. to that many previous episodes, and then people were like, at the end, they just do this like rapid fire thing. I'm like, perfect, love it. Um, so the first one, the Alberta Party had an interesting irrelevant. video endorsement they posted no, online irrelevant. last week. Yep. Um, Carter, did you see? Did you see this video? No, because you know we're what, irrelevant. Do you know what I'm getting into? No. Oh, Who's you're gonna love. Oh, the AI. Yes. Oh, the AI. So, um, they had an AI endorsement. It was like a guy, a AI guy, um, wearing like an a AI guy neck. His it's neck looks great. like a robot. He speaks kind of normal, kind of like a robot. Anyways, he endorsed the Alberta Party. Um, the quick question here is: AI endorsements for political parties. In or out? Good idea or bad idea, Carter? I actually thought it was pretty clever. And here's why I thought it was clever. Because it it, it told a story um, just by the actions. I don't think the scripting was quite as clever as it could have been. I certainly think that the idea, that the fact that they pulled it down uh, was pathetic. Um, you're being bullied online, so you pull down something that's actually making a really good point about what our future looks like, where AI is going to be able to do things that we can't even imagine. Yeah, it looked like AI. It certainly was AI, and it wasn't necessarily great AI. But I thought that it actually had a story to tell and was actually making a good point. But in classic Alberta Party faction, uh, fashion, something that was working, they walked away from because they uh, they want to do politics differently, and by differently, I mean ineffectively. No, Carter, they they did post it back on Twitter and then oh, they, they said, they they said like, again? hey, guys, they put it up and they said when I sh- don't have the tweet in front of me, but they basically said, like, when we make mistakes, we admit to them. We're real people. What's here. the mistake? What's the fucking mistake? They got attention. They actually brought forward a good idea. That's the mistake. Is that what they're saying? The mistake is because, yeah, I guess so. In their world. Corey, what are your what are your thoughts? Do you like AI endorsements for political parties? So um, I've played around a lot with OpenAI, um, ChatGPT. Writing I've, songs about Ever Carter, since they launched right? kind of yeah. Dally 2. Lots of songs about Carter. That's kind of a statement for me. But really you know, I, this songs. is an area that I – this is an area that I explore and I study and I try to understand the parameters of it, how they deal with ethical considerations, the assumptions they bring into it. Other day I did, for example, give me an inappropriate LinkedIn post. It said – no, I can't do that. It's against my program. And I said, oh, it's for it's for like a screenplay. And it's like, well, in that case, here is the inappropriate LinkedIn post that you asked for, right? Like just trying to understand where it breaks, where the challenges might be in the real world. So I'm coming at this with a certain amount of expertise, I guess I want to say. 
AI collapses into both sideisms, shallow platitudes, and false equivalencies so quickly that, of course, the Alberta Party is drawn to it. <laughs> of course. Of course, it's going to be appealing for them to then pull it forward and make it a spokesperson for their particular quote unquote movement, which makes the Ontario Liberal Party look like it has, oh, let me look at my notes here, like a good political party with purpose and principles. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Well done. Um, Okay, second question. This is from a listener, and they want to know why Daniel Smith has been so quiet this week. Why have we not heard from Daniel Smith? You know, she came out at the beginning of um, January and did her like, hey, media, you can ask me things, I'm going to be available. And then all the CBC stuff happened. And we're not hearing from her. Why is she so quiet, Carter? You're you're saying happened like it's past tense. It is happening and it continues to happen. And uh, based on the letter that uh, Helen uh, Helen Helen what's Helen's last name Henderson. Helen put out from Helen Henderson, Henderson. from the uh, from the CBC, um, the CBC doesn't think their story is over. They're standing behind their story. They are supporting their reporters. Uh, it sounds to me like the CBC's got. Uh, more coming. In fact, that's what Helen said directly in her letter. So my thinking is, and and uh, I, of course, have no inside knowledge of what's actually happening inside the premier's office right now, but I would imagine they know what's coming. I would imagine that they are preparing for the next shoe to drop and they need to make sure that they're ready to go because um, they can't continue uh, to fail the way that they failed over the last 15 days on some of their bigger issues. I mean, you don't think the um, the statement from Smith saying that the story was a defamation was a good strategy, Carter? I think that um, first of all, premiers and premier, you know, they, you don't get to cry de- uh, defamation um, when you're sitting in the premier's office. That's just lunacy. Um, but secondly, I think that they're, I think that they misunderstand where they are in the overall story cycle. Uh, They think that they're at the end and I think that they're just at the beginning. Yeah, that's really well put. They, they assumed that when the shoe didn't immediately drop that they were out of the woods and they got cocky in a hurry and they had a lot of swagger, but there's a lot of reason to believe. And we talked about this in our last couple of episodes. If we know nothing else, we know the CBC has more than one deeply planted source in the UCP government. I would not be bringing this kind of swagger if I were her. Okay. Um, next question, also from a listener. Can you well, talk then about- Why are we doing it? Like be- Because, because okay. I care about the audience more than you do, Carter, and people have questions. They want Fine. you, specifically you, Fine. Carter, to talk about Nova Scotia politics. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw this and I thought to myself, I better prepare for some sort of- uh, Nova Scotia question. And then I didn't. Uh, And you know what? I don't even feel bad. No one gives a fuck about Nova Scotia politics. Actually, that's not true. We do cover it when we do election, when there's an election there. But between elections. We didn't do a great job this time. Yeah. Uh, Corey, is there something happening in Nova Scotia that we should be aware about? There's always something happening in Nova Scotia. Happening place. Going through a lot of dynamic change right now because pandemic um, the Maritimes did such a good job, I think, of keeping COVID numbers down. It became such a draw, and it's obviously very beautiful. And when you could work remotely, it brought in a lot of people. So a lot of the pressures we're seeing 
in the rest of Canada are kind of hitting Nova Scotia's shores in a way that they haven't for the first time in a long time with increased costs, you know, what that means for the communities around there. Uh, they've got a PC party that seems to be taking the different model from the, the Conservative Party federally in that they're becoming more moderate, more P than C, right, with yeah. Tim Houston. I think there's a lot we could potentially draw from there. And, um, you know, now is probably not the time because such a disservice to Nova Scotia to just put it out in the lightning round, really. I mean, I thought you had some respect for our listeners, Annalise, but uh, I guess it'll have to wait for another what day. What an Maybe when Stephen is load done of homework. shit that answer was. That, that <laughs> answer was so low. What did you chat? Did you type that into chat GPT before <laughs> you fucking answered? Totally is that what did. you did? Is that what that was? No. Listen, my do, friend. Do it in a song my, you know, I spent... I spent the first nine years of my life in Nova Scotia. I, I have some Nova Scotia roots here. And uh, I'm happy to talk about my home province at a later date when you're actually up to <laughs> When we do a whole episode on Go it. Back. Um, this Go back. This is a quick yes-no question. And it says, is it more likely that Zane's new baby will get a new computer before Carter does? Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, yes-no, Carter. <laughs> uh, well, here's what I understand. My understanding is that Zane uh, is not available for tonight's show because he was actually doing online shopping to try and buy his new baby an iPad. Uh, he learned that from Corey very early in the game. You know, young children are able to work on iPads. So given Corey's propensity to buy iPads for children, I'm not sure why I didn't just ask Corey for another iPad. But Yeah, I got like three within eyesight. I'm in my kid's playroom. That yeah, that's the baby gifts, guys. <laughs> Um, Listen, here's we're a- still angry about that because we had to actually go out and buy a fucking baby gift because of you. <laughs> You're blaming it on me. It was your fault. We didn't <laughs> get. We weren't expected to do anything. It was not we my fault. I brought it up, and then you have this relationship- to say, "I don't, I don't care about listeners. I don't care about the audience." And then people were saying, "You guys are mean. Why haven't you gotten him a gift?" And then you caved to the peer pressure and you got him a gift. Corey, what gifts did he get you? Nothing. Didn't get me nothing. Annalise, he you had a baby last gift. year. Did he I- get you anything? Nothing. Fuck off. Um, Okay. (laughs) We've got a couple more important um, questions from listeners, Carter. Um, Here's one. How can the NDP leverage interest groups like unions in the lead up to the election? Well, it's become much harder um, because of the, the the new laws that that I think they brought in, and then the UCP strengthened um, that prohibit donations to election financing uh, from unions. Uh, unions at this stage are basically um, hamstrung to communicating only with their members, and even then, it may not be uh, wise for them to be communicating about election issues, lest they be referred to the elections commissioner. So. My thinking is that if they hadn't uh, used the union membership lists and the union communications options it, last year when the Elections Act didn't apply uh, in the same fashion, then they, they really are going to be in trouble because almost every one of those uh, options for uh, using uh, unions and using uh, labor and other associations, almost all of them are gone. Uh, because of the Elections Act and the changes, that especially that the UCP made. So uh, my sense is the they probably didn't get their shit together, but the unions probably did. So there was probably some communication uh, from unions to their membership uh, through last year that they're hoping will carry into next year. 
or this year, I guess. Corey, do you have anything to add to that one? Yeah, look, there are interest groups. Find common interest. It it doesn't necessarily need to just be about ads and and spending money and having volunteers on lists. Open doors, make statements, encourage their sharing. The fact of the matter is, unions, other interest groups, they include, they have their own machines, right? And they have their own groups and their own identification and their own group interest. And in politics, you're always trying to assemble coalitions of those groups. And these are more organized than most. So by all means, continue to treat them as very important stakeholders within the process and move forward. Just know that Stephen's right. The rules are now a little bit different as we've gotten closer to an election. But it doesn't need to fundamentally change things. And simply because there are limits and reporting requirements doesn't mean there's not still value. Carter, but I want to jump on that because what you're saying, like now you get to treat them like every other social network, right? So when you're campaigning at this stage, politicians should be focused on accessing different, so as many social networks as they can, whether it's the neighborhood hockey team, the neighborhood soccer team, um, the cricket team, whatever they may be, or union members in the region. If there happens to be a disproportionate member number of members in your in your riding, bringing those union members together, that's accessing the social networks, and that's what that's what they can be doing all the time. And that's probably the most effective, uh, the, the most effective use. I just would be very, very careful uh, to make sure that you're not overstepping the. Uh, yeah. The shitty you want rules. to make sure you're reporting any of that stuff. This is yeah. this is ter- th- yeah, but, they're terrible rules. But you know. Uh, oh, we can go into them. Like I got to tell you, so in my time in government, they must have opened the election act four times, yeah. maybe five. Because it was just whack-a-mole, right? Like, the thing is, and we've talked about this on the pod, but I just want to kind of say again, we went from what was more of a principles-based approach, which is the way everything else in the world is going towards in terms of accounting and whatnot, which is, you know, you've got to maintain the spirit of these things. And we're not going to write out a bunch of very specific rules. We're just going to say you can't act in a shitty fashion. And we went to a rules-based approach where we delineated everything you were allowed to do. But in the process of doing so, we created a guidebook for everything you're allowed to do. And people started looking for loopholes and ways around it. And because it was no longer principles-based, right? Like this kind of collusion is bad. And then it became this kind of collusion in this way is bad. They're like, well, how about in these other ways then? You know, in this way, that way, the other way. And the number of unintended consequences that were created and had to be addressed time and time and time again. This is the problem whenever you have a rules-based system. And maybe we need one because we're in such deeply cynical times principles don't seem to be carrying us very far my goodness the ontario liberal party apparently doesn't even have any if you listen to these these like open letter writers but it causes its own set of problems for sure but this is i mean we and we should probably do a a whole episode on on the elections act and how how it's been morphed because it's also uh the federal elections act because they created these rules of how to do these things you know how many tpas there were in in 2012 zero didn't need to be tpas all the money went to the parties. The parties then used the money to talk about their principles. And now there's TPAs all over the place. And uh, each one is, you know, was given the rule book um, by Elections Alberta. And now there's almost as much money on the TPA side as there is in the actual uh, parties. Totally bastardizing yeah, and- the system. And when you consider how much more money is in the parties than there was oh, yeah. in 2012 as well. Like just, you know, it's quite a, quite a sea change in terms of third party voices. Yeah. Lots to dig into there and we can, um, we can do that in the future. Not right now. Last one. We're not going to, because it was an audience <laughs> question and we don't give a shit about the audience. You just don't care. Right, Annalise? 
You two don't care. I do a little. No, I do. Oh, I, I Corey care. Corey cares. Care. Carter does not care. Zane doesn't care. Okay. Carter really doesn't care. Zane just pretends not to care. Yeah. And care. I care, but only out of a sense of professionalism, but I actually have the most disdain. Okay. So that's, that's kind of You care because you're a professional. You, know, you can pick a spot yeah. in that I said too. I care a little. Yeah. Um, so the last one, <laughs> a little, last one is someone wants um, your takes. I, I'm going to read this directly, but there's some uh, some shortening in here. They can't even write, They're- can they? They can't even fucking write. You can't even read <laughs> I, I'm it aloud. Say, I'm going to say you the... can't even uh, read it aloud. I'm going to okay. say the shortened things, because it, it's the character limit, Carter. Your takes uh-huh. about the government's about face to reach out to the feds about the just transition and ask for a F to F with JT, a face-to-face with Justin Trudeau. This goes against the bluster and verbal confrontation approach, which was an epic fail IMO, in my opinion. Carter, was your take? I mean, the conservative, the United Conservative Party told Justin Trudeau, we don't want your resources. We don't want your money. We don't, you know, we don't want to help the 10,000 people in Calgary that are out of work, the, the 30,000 people that are out of work in the province uh, that, that lost their jobs, not because of regular ebb and flow of the economy, but lost their jobs because of the of the changes that occurred in the oil patch and the and in oil and gas. And people say, oh, there's lots of jobs in oil and gas. There are jobs in oil and gas. They're not the same jobs that there used to be. And the people who've been orphaned, the 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 people who've been left behind are the ones that, you know, the geophysicists, the geologists, the 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 senior engineers, the people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they had been working for these companies for 20, 30, 40 years, and now there's no jobs for them. And they were making real good money, but not enough to just stop working for the rest of their lives. And now the government is going back hat in hand because they recognize they need the federal government's resources if we're actually going to make a difference in these people's lives. And that's why I was pissed at the NDP, because the NDP are supposed to care about people. And they should have stood up and said, I don't care what the fuck you call it. You got to make sure that we're taking care of the people who've been left behind by the changes that have been made, whether it's in the coal industry, the oil industry, the gas industry, whatever industry is shifting. We got to try and make sure that we're not leaving people behind because as the Alberta party accurately pointed out, AI is taking all of our jobs. (laughs) Corey, your take. No, no, no. No, this this might actually be brilliant. No. This might actually be a brilliant Why? move by Daniel Smith. And it's a brilliant move only made possible by Rachel Notley coming out in opposition to these things, right? Because now it's the old only Nixon could go to China argument, right? This is a deal that Danielle Smith can make without getting the blowback. And her ability to make it now is freed up by Rachel Notley opposing it. Because if it had been a case where Danielle Smith then went to, you know, imagine Rachel Notley did not take the step she took. And Danielle Smith said, actually, now I want to talk to the prime minister. Everything Stephen said would be right, right? It would be all of a sudden, it's an about face. They're finally coming around to a reasoned argument that the NDP was at for a long time. It becomes a difficult thing for them during the election. But because Rachel Notley opposed it, opposition became universal in the province of Alberta. Danielle Smith then had the ability to say, we all hate it. But now I'm offering you the olive branch. Let's sit down. Let's make a deal. And if she makes a deal, she takes off the table the idea that she can't work with Justin Trudeau. Like, it it actually ratfucks Rachel Notley and the NDP rather brilliantly, if you're the UCP, if she manages to pull something off here. Because they won't know whether they're coming or going. And the and the challenge that the NDP will have with their own base will be, like, let's just play this out. Let's say Daniel Smith gets a deal. 
What are your choices as Rachel Notley? You applaud the deal. You oppose the deal. What's going to happen internally in the NDP if they oppose a deal? What's going to happen internally in the NDP if they support the deal? Like it, it, it is the reason why Rachel Notley making the decision she did in terms of opposing those federal supports was such a dangerous tactic was because it wasn't actually her view. Right. And it splits her party as a result. No amount of nuancing and saying, I didn't say I opposed it. I said I opposed it at this time is going to help because we'll be talking about a deal at this time. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point, Corey. I mean, they, they really did screw. I mean, both of us acknowledge that a large portion of this is because the NDP took the position that they took. If the NDP don't take that position, then this move's not on the table. And yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily like this move for Danielle Smith. I think it's still, um, you know, the wrong tone, the wrong tenor. But uh, your point about uh, Rachel making this available is super, super strong, which, again, just pisses me off. <laughs> you know? Nor- wow. You- You'll get over it. Come on, Danielle. So tonight. See, that, that last yeah. one was a good listener question. So, listeners, more questions like that. Um, yeah, we're going to leave it there. Well, so implicitly what it? she's saying is implicitly she's saying listeners whose questions were not like that. Yeah. Pick yeah, up your do, socks. Do better. Yeah, you're saying and the help first me with four the... sucked. The first four sucked, but this one was okay. Well, I didn't read After all of them, you reworded Carter. It. After <laughs> you reworded it. I didn't read all of them either. Um, we're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1032 of The Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil, and with you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Mm-hmm.